Legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is Lostcast, and may your ears receive it. Lostcast episode 32. I'm Matt Hackett. I'm Jeff Blair. It has been quite a while. Close to two months. Probably. I wonder how many episodes. I want to go back through. Like, when we do our two-year one, I want to go back through and count the episodes where we've talked about how long it's been since the last one. <laughs> it's like those blog <laughs> posts. I hate those, too. I feel bad about it. Yeah. Um, man, we got a lot to talk about because uh, it's been a while. We have... Uh, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about Crypt Run, our new game, which is... Uh, it's It kind of has the same core mechanics as Onslaught Arena, so if you've been following our games for a while, you might hopefully be happy to hear that because it's yes. kind of like our get us getting back to our roots it's like more of a hardcore skill-based twitch game yeah it's it's gonna be really hard uh but we're not gonna get stupid with it like i don't know how many listeners have actually played onslaught arena but it's free to play go play it and uh probably what'll happen is you'll play it and you'll get to the green dragon and you'll die that's what happens when i <laughs> that's play what, that's what happens to everyone because <laughs> we uh we didn't have a good difficulty ramp up but crypt run won't be like that it'll have a really great it's got um, a difficulty curve like a brick wall yeah, onslaught does. Crypt run, yes. it'll be like a like a a nice gentle slope upwards, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps until we push you into the deep end. Uh, so crypt run is also like our most ambitious uh, project because we're not just doing the game like we have in the past. We're also doing uh, a live demo in two weeks at an expo called California Extreme. We're doing uh, a Kickstarter, which we're yep. just announcing for the first time on this podcast. Um, we're looking to launch it at the same time as the California Extreme live demo which is july 13th and 14th 13th and 14th it's a saturday and sunday um so like not this weekend but next weekend yeah depending on when you listen to this but yeah um or it could be in the past it probably will be in the past i (laughs) I think most (laughs) listeners will find this much later but uh if you happen to be in the bay area please come to california extreme and stop by the crypt run table i'll put links in the show notes of course it's pretty cheap it's like 30 bucks a day or something yeah and it's like you get to play um Oh, that's a weed eater outside. That's great. Earlier it was a lawnmower and we waited for it, but now we get to get weed eaten. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, yeah, it's a really cool expo. Um, Andrea, my wife, and I have been like five times or something. Uh, it's super awesome. It's just a gigantic room full of arcade cabinets and nerds. And they're all on free play, basically. Pinball. Yeah, they're all on free play. That's the important part. Um, so like pretty like any arcade game you can think of for the most part except for the newer stuff you know like any classic arcade game you can think of is probably there it's actually a lot of fun because i don't know anytime i've gone to a modern arcade like uh dave and buster or something half the games are house of the dead and the other half are like racing games yeah the house, there's like a house of the dead section always it's like some of them are like whoa hey this place has a retro game house of the dead one right. <laughs> in the area where there's like house of the dead three through five right yeah it's ridiculous and those games are so samey yeah they are i kind of like them though they're really fun house of the dead i, I mean i like zombie games and oh yeah like the, the voice acting's entertaining because it's so bad i think they're the reason the reason there there's so many is because they're popular right I mean, yeah people don't play them they wouldn't stock them so much but that's true yeah it's def- definitely a very different vibe going to a place like california extreme because you get to play all the old classics like you know pac-man centipede galaga a bunch of others I've never even heard of. Right. A bunch of great games. You know, I went to the uh, the flea market uh, in San Jose, which is like, you know, 20-minute drive from here, and um, I was really surprised. They had an excellent arcade. It was just really? Like they, had a, they had a Super Street Fighter 2 cabinet. They had like a Ms. Pac-Man. They had, um, 
I think a, a Ninja Turtles. I was like shocked. I was oh, like, "There's man. some good cabinets here." I wanted to be like, "Is anyone selling these?" <laughs> like, I love Ninja Turtles. Yeah, so good, dude. Yeah. Uh, and then um, we're also going to talk about uh, Humble Widget. Oh right, Humble so, Store. Uh, hum- we're on the Humble Store now, or we will be shortly um, with Lava Blade, and uh, probably after the Kickstarter, Crypt Run will be there as well. Right. So moving forward, all of our games are going to be oh, well, desktop games anyway. Um, I guess they do Android too. I don't know. But either way, yeah. uh, we're going to be on the the Humble Store, and I'm really excited about that because my hope is that's like step one towards getting on Humble Bundle. On Humble Bundle, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like step one is get the widget, and then step 100 is you know be in a bundle. Maybe you're lucky enough to make it into Humble Bundle, but uh, you know. But nice thing is we're on their radar now. Like they know who we are. They've heard of us. Yes. <laughs> like who are you? Let me let me look in my database of thousands of better indie game developers oh yes you're at the bottom of the list (laughs) (laughs) we'll get to you in the 2026 so uh i'm gonna launch that widget this week probably and then we'll deprecate bmt micro which was uh, the current service we're using to distribute our binary games for windows and mac yeah um if you have purchased lava blade from bmt micro and you had a bad experience i'm really sorry about that i actually bought lava blade through bmt micro on our site and uh it wasn't an ideal experience uh, I mean, I got the game and everything. Like, everything technically worked, but I think I had to wait, like, six hours or something. It, it seems really weird. like they have, like, a, a, a manual person, like, fulfilling orders or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's... I don't know. I kind of need to get with the times or something. The nice thing about this new yeah. Humble system, too, is that you pay once and you get Windows, Mac, and whatever the other builds we we give you. So, BNT Micro, yeah. it's like you pay once and you get Windows, and you pay another time and you get Mac. And so, I mean, most people are probably only going to play on one platform, but... For the people that want it on multiple platforms, it's much easier with Humble Bundle. Dude, that has come up before. Uh, like, I remember when I first started working at Yahoo, I was on, on any given day, I was on Linux, Mac, and Windows. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, that kind of comes with the territory of being a web developer is you need to be like, okay, I want to test an Internet Explorer, and I know from experience that it really needs it needs to be on a freaking Windows machine, And yeah. but I prefer to develop on Mac, but the server stuff is all on Linux, so it's like, I don't know, that, that matters to me, you know? It's like I want to know that... Um, the software that I purchase is available where I'm going to be using it, you know? And I think philosophically we're both on the same page that you're buying the game, you're not buying the platform, you know? Right, right, right. So, like, if you buy a game from us, you should really have access to it on any platform you want to play it on. Yeah. No DRM, no BS. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, in an ideal world, you'd, like, you you pay for the game. And say, like, for example, Plants vs. Zombies by... Um, Popcat. I guess by EA now, but I bought that game like six times. Yeah, exactly. And then like Nintendo, it's great that they have their you know virtual console and they have all their their old games are available. But like, come on, man, I'm not paying five bucks for Balloon Fight. <laughs> like I bought that when I was like seven or something, right. you know, and it was like forty bucks, and I had to mow a billion lawns. Like, <laughs> I don't know, some bitterness coming out there. I just, Mowing I just lawns don't in pay Illinois sounds really painful, dude. Big lawns and hot. Yes, that sounds awful. Yeah, it was really bad. That's because uh, my allowance was like it was two bucks a week for the longest time, and then it got kicked up to five bucks a week. But that included my lunches. Wow! So oh. if I wanted any money at all to like to buy a video game or you know like a, <laughs> a that human like, figure, that sounds like a net loss. A net loss? What mowing a lawn fifteen dollars? No, five bucks a week, but you have to pay for your own lunches. Oh, maybe it was fifteen bucks a week. Yeah, but in high school, lunch was like a buck fifty or something. It was crazy. Sure, but I mean, five, this was like ninety-seven or something. Five times a week. Right. Why you gotta pick apart my math, Jeff? I don't it's know. It's just like when we're programming. <laughs> like Matt, I don't think you're supposed to use math.sign here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Why not? <laughs> I don't understand. It math. just worked. I put it in. <laughs> <laughs> ah, just like games. 
Um, so let's get right into it. We'll start talking about Crypt Run. I don't know. Um, I guess the last episode we had was where we interviewed uh, Jesse Freeman, so we didn't talk about Crypt Run at all there, probably. Well, if that was about two months ago, then we had barely started on Crypt Run. Oh, that's true. We have. It feels like. I don't know. It's it's weird though because this is um, Crypt Run is a game actually that came out of. You've probably heard us talking before about that three-month contract we had for making a real-time multiplayer game. Yeah. And a lot of concepts, a lot of the artwork, and just a lot of ideas and stuff came out of of that, even though the game never got launched. So it's like, it feels like we've been working on Crypt Run for closer to five months. Yeah. It feels like a lot like Lava Blade in that regard. It does. Which I don't, I don't like that. I don't want to get away <laughs> from an experience of, that, that feels like having built Lava Blade, because that wasn't, uh, well, that wasn't good. I think the key takeaway there is that sometimes you just have to prototype, and a lot of times your prototypes uh, won't ever see the light of day. Yes, you it's know, very true. Like we spent a lot of time making the multiplayer version, and you know, in that case, it was kind of beyond our control a little bit uh, in terms of oh, absolutely, like launching on that platform. But um, we're actually really excited about the new direction. I mean, the game is, I think, much better, much more fun. Uh, single player, which is. I don't know. I it's really it's the game that we wanted to make because we obviously we want to get to real time multiplayer eventually, but I feel like there's like five steps before we get there. You know, like the st- step one is make a really solid single player experience, and like step two is maybe take that to make a really solid local multiplayer experience. Maybe right. step three is you get the server in the mix, but like that'll boy. be the time when we have bandwidth and money to hire someone to be the server caretaker yeah exactly you know? i'm so glad that we never like committed to having any like multiplayer or database driven game or anything because no, yeah. like we're stretched thin enough as it is that would just upset people when it went down every day <laughs> yeah exactly <clears throat> so i guess uh we can just talk about crypt run from the ground up we can talk about um how we got there which is kind of interesting i think because i don't know you're gonna get people looking at crypt run and being like this is zelda clone these guys suck or like it's clearly just Binding of Isaac. These guys are stupid. Like, they're just cloning or whatever. But, like, we, we came to this game design really organically. We were, we were looking at... Um, we were, like, you know, back when we were making Onslaught Arena, things were just coming so naturally because that kind of a game just makes sense to us, you know? Right. And so we started making a game. It was uh, codenamed... Valor? No, that wasn't Valor. Which one was it? The, um, the one where it was just a dragon? You were just a dragon walking around a cave? Oh. It was nothing but um, hazards. Right, right, right. It was like obstacles. You couldn't really attack. I just forgot what we called that game. It was basically a a top-down version of Treasure Goblin, which I'll... I need to be making show notes. I'm not making show notes over here. What's the first thing? Oh, California Street. I think you forgot how to podcast. I did. It's been too long. I need to, to re- regain my muscle memory. Uh, treasure. So, so Treasure Goblin is a game we launched uh, quite a while ago over um, very little fanfare. It was really just kind of experiment, but it was a... Or it, it is a side-schooling platformer game. You can get it for free on the Chrome Web Store or just play it in, you know, Firefox or whatever. But, um... So it's like it's really just how far can you get uh, in a side-scrolling platformer game where you want to collect some treasure and you want to avoid some spikes and you just want to see how far you can get and it keeps getting harder and harder. And really, the only thing in the world is golden spikes. Golden spikes, and that's it. And like that sounds really lame when I describe it, but for some reason, I mean, you and I both found that game pretty compelling. I was playing it a lot for like a week. I can't beat it. No, well, it's I, unbeatable, I, I guess. It's unbeatable, but like there. There's like achievements, like like I think the hardest achievement is you get fifty thousand treasure in one run or something, no. and that's just stupid. Can't do it. No, it's it's really hard. <laughs> the highest I can get is like twenty. I usually get 15. to about level three. Yeah, and then Th- I die. That's where like <laughs> at that point it feels like Donkey Kong the arcade cabinet because every single thing you do has to be perfect or you die. Right. It's like you're just on this like the edge of a knife. It's <laughs> it's ridiculous and. 
but it has gamepad support so it's really fun exactly yeah uh yeah. so th- we were kind of making a game like that that was top down that was really just you know how how well can you get through these obstacles and how good are you at collecting stuff and exploring and we looked at that really carefully and we were like trying to estimate it and it was like that would really just take us a couple weeks to make and it wouldn't I mean, it's hard to see down the road where your game prototype's going to be, but what we saw is a game that really wasn't all that compelling, you know? Well, the thing with Treasure Goblin is it's basically the same concept except for it has gravity, and gravity in and of itself is like a huge obstacle uh, because you have this thing where you can't control it. Exactly, yeah. You know? Whereas in a top-down, you basically have complete control over the movement. You can stop whenever you want. Right. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Cat. Okay. Uh, and plus, we really wanted to get like we had so many ideas for uh, for like onslaught arena. You know, we wanted to do like weapon trees and hidden items and like um, well, we've been talking about pathways. And we've been talking about re- uh, revisiting onslaught arena in some form. Uh, you know, over the past year, you know, we've like should we revamp onslaught? You know, should we release onslaught two? Like, what should we do with that? Yeah, we would have got. I mean, we had we had a prototype of we've, as we've talked about before of onslaught two on impact, and um, this I, game's not that dissimilar. I, it's definitely a much different direction than we would have taken it. Um, I think it's part of our design decisions have have come from the fact that Lava Blade being a persistent role playing game where like your numbers matter and like if you're at this point in the game you've got like three hours committed to these characters and like it's really hard to test say like a new area or like a new weapon like it's it's contextual right you have to be like. This weapon only really makes sense when you're at about, like, the four-hour mark in Lava Blade, and right. you're dealing with, you know, these types of demons and this types of boss, and, like, what we ended up having to do is you made this system, actually, where you kind of exported the data, and you could import it, and that way you could, like, restore a save state. Right. But even that is, like, it's assuming a lot. It, like, you're only testing in this this one specific situation. Like, let's say a player is playing Lava Blade, and they decide to do nothing but, like, Berserker builds, or they want to do nothing but range. Like... We would have to have like five or six different saves to test that weapon in every like scenario and stuff. And as designers, that was really taxing on two guys, like to to know what we were adding to the game, like what kind of an impact it would have on the design. So that's one of the reasons we decided to make um, this term gets thrown around too much these days. But we're, we're making a roguelike, which means to us that there's like a single point of entry. So like you always just enter in Krypton, you always enter the cemetery. And when you're in the cemetery, you fight these monsters, and there's like you know random levels and all that stuff. But the game always starts the same. And if we add some new boss to it, like, it's relatively easy to test that because you always have the same, like, point of entry. You don't have to assume, like, oh, crap, this player's been playing for, you know, five hours and has all this gear or something. We already have some situations where it's, like, you know, due to random drops and stuff, you could get a lot of good equipment. So right. we're already going to have to balance it somewhat. You know, what if the player has the best weapon and the best items and right. the speed boots and whatever else? Yeah. Um, so we took that design that we had that was really pure where it was just like you're controlling a dragon and you're walking around this cave full of hazards and you're avoiding the hazards and it's like kind of like how many eggs can you collect and like how many of your you know dragon sibling babies can you free before you know you die eventually and we took that idea and we expanded it and we're like okay I really want to be able to attack so we played with the idea of like maybe you can breathe fire but like but all the ideas that we had really involved, like, basically you being a humanoid. And we wanted to, like, put a weapon in your hand. Like, uh, that's that's what's fun to us. You know, we, yeah. you have a staff and you shoot fire. Or, like, you've got an axe and you throw it or, you know. I think that one of my favorite parts about making Onslaught was making all the different weapons and the different behaviors of those so weapons. Fun. and like Yeah, so fun. Bouncing axes and, like, oh. daggers that shoot in a V pattern. Yeah. They, like, spread spread damage. So there's um, obviously a lot of influence in Krypton coming from Onslaught Arena weapons and just the kind of gameplay in general. I mean, just to give you a quick overview, 
it's kind of like uh, a bunch of onslaught arenas strung together in a random fashion. Kind of, yeah. You can look at that way. It's like uh, a series of largest rooms full of traps and treasures. Right. Um, and then the the layout for the maps, like the rooms are connected in a way that's probably familiar to, like, say, a Legend of Zelda, like the original, a, yeah. a dungeon like that. Well, maybe maybe Zelda three. Because the rooms are variable size and stuff, right, yeah, but they're yeah. all connected in certain ways. It's not like a single screen room. It's some some rooms can be single screen, but other rooms can be quite large. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to work on. I'm really excited about it. I'm a little nervous about the live demo. I guess we can talk about that next. We we mentioned what California Extreme is. Right. Um, so. Last year when we were there, we saw, and I think we talked about it on one of our podcasts, we saw these guys there that were demoing their game Fist Puncher, I think. Was it 2-Bit? Uh, Team 2-Bit. Team 2-Bit. Yes. I'll put a link in the show notes if I remember. I think we did, uh, um, yeah, yeah, we podcasted before and they found the, li- the link and uh, they made a comment. Good yeah. guys. Um, I think th- they'll be there again this year. So yeah, oh, yeah, like. yeah. Um, there's supposed to be an indie panel too, although I don't know if that's final yet, but... Yeah, those guys will be there as well. Um, so if you happen to be in the Bay Area, make sure to stop by their table as well. Yeah, so we're going to have a little table. Or I guess it's going to be an 8-foot table. Yeah, uh, all we know so far is we're going to have an 8-foot table. It's going to be against a wall, apparently. Um, we're going to have a big black tablecloth. We're going to have two monitor setups of identical monitors, hopefully. We've ordered some uh, like poster-type things. We, we're, we've made a design that's hopefully a little bit like uh like you'd see in an arcade cabinet yeah you know how like you'll see like um there's the monitor on the arcade cabinet and then above it is like this kind of um, like banner anything yeah like a banner that has the name of the game maybe some graphics we did something like that and we're gonna put those we're gonna fix them to the tops of the monitors so hopefully that'll look cool but we <laughs> we really have no idea yet <laughs> if you stop by and it's like all duct tape like <laughs> that could uh that could be a real situation um but yeah we got uh stickers and stuff too and we're gonna have candy and other things so you should stop by and get some yeah your, free shit. your girlfriend melissa's gonna make um uh what bats and skulls lollipops lollipops yeah so uh crypt run themed lollipops yes <laughs> i'll put a link to this in the show notes too uh she actually made um onslaught cakes and stuff right she made an like back when she was in culinary school she made a um she made a cake, and then she made, uh, like, what is that stuff called that you can, uh, it's kind of like the Play-Doh of food. Oh, <laughs> uh, like fondant? Fondant, yeah. She made, like, bats and... Uh, the beholder. The beholder and stuff. I'll put it, yeah, just check that out if you haven't seen it. It's pretty cool. And then, the, yeah, there will be a hard candy kind of like that. Um, we've got these stickers that say com on them. They say death is just the beginning. Oh, we should talk about death is just the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we'll, give, we'll be giving those out and um they're pretty fun i don't know they're like little coins there's the small ones are silver and the big ones are gold like oh yeah i know it's pretty fun yeah, it was pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're really excited about the live demo i think it'll be a lot of fun we've never live demo live demoed before no we haven't so we're kind of like uh flying by the seat of our pants a little bit but i think it'll all come together i've done the due diligence i i i've been trying to anyway um my friend brett has worked in uh he worked at games radar for like seven years and now he's at capcom and i've been trying to ask him like pick his brain about because he's done so many live demos, you know, like, I think we've, we're okay on hardware and the actual setup, but now I'm more wanting to know, what, like, what's next step? Like, should I be, like, how do you, how do you deal with people who come in and play? Like, should I be picking their brains the whole time? Because, like, I want feedback and stuff, but I don't want <laughs> to bother them. I just, yeah. I kind of want to just watch them play and hopefully they'll enjoy it and stuff. But, like, yeah, I just kind of want to know what's a good kind of like mentality to have or like a good um i think uh the best mentality is probably hands off like be available if they have questions but never 
it's kind of like don't speak until spoken to i think yeah yeah i, I think i'm gonna do this i'm gonna stand right over their shoulders so they can like feel my breath in their neck and i'm gonna be like seriously you died there <sighs> like they're, don't they're bother just like, don't bother buying this game like, you're terrible at it <laughs> they're like you're creeping me out dude and i'm like well you suck at the game what about that <laughs> i'm gonna get punched yeah by me <laughs> <laughs> you're like you're fending me off from people i'm gonna run interference <laughs> so people can actually play the game you get a whistle you can blow that's right <laughs> but yeah i'm really excited about that it's gonna be a lot of fun um california extreme is also a blast i'm looking forward to just kind of playing other people's games last man last year i played some great games i hadn't played in a long time like mm. uh, heavy barrel mm. remember that one yeah i think it was by uh, data east it had um first game i ever saw i mean it's about, i know it's been a bunch by now but the first game i ever saw where um so you know the stick where you control your character, you can move like up, down, left, right, whatever. Yeah. 360, really. But uh, there's only, there's an attack button. So what you do is you you move the stick to the right, so you're moving right. But then you you like rotate the knob that you're pushing right oh. to face to the left, and then you hit the attack button to shoot. So like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not, that's an awful control scheme. Awful, yeah. Yes. Smash TV is much better where there's just like two sticks. One, yeah. the left stick controls your movement. The right stick controls your aiming, and like that's where you're how firing. Crypt Run works. That's how Crypt Run works. Yeah, that's how Onslaught works. Um, on iPad, there's yeah. two digital um, digital analog sticks. That sounds like an oxymoron, but uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Crypt Run. Also, we should point this out. What I would say virtual analog sticks. Virtual analog. Yeah, that's better. Um, this is really cool about Crypto. I'm really excited about this. We have full uh, gamepad support. Yes, we've we bought dual analog gamepad support. Dual too. An- yeah, dual analog gamepad support. Uh, you can access all the menus. You can mute it. You can restart your game. Like everything, you can play the whole game. In fact, when we do the demo at California Extreme, uh, we're only going to bring well, we're going to bring a lot of stuff, but we're only going to give players gamepads. Yep. So it'll be monitor and gamepad. That's it. Yeah. Everything else will be hidden away. Yes. Hopefully. It's, uh, we're really excited about that because like that's where we've wanted to be for a long time because that's how we play games. We play games on the couch. 90% <laughs> of the time, yeah. With the controller. Or, exactly, with the gamepad in our hands. And uh, So we're there now, and it's been a long time. That's, that's actually one of the things that Treasure Goblin did for us is it kind of it was what we used to integrate our uh, gamepad. gamepad support. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, you mentioned it just a second ago, but um, there's a part of Krypton that we're most excited about. Um, it's already kind of a fun game just kind of being like a kind of uh procedurally generated every time he plays different kind of game yep collect loot get items beef up your character kill bad guys whatever yep um but we have this really cool mode all right um basically what happens is when you die in the game your game isn't over right away yeah you then uh become undead and you're playing the game the same game you were playing but now you're dead and you can't interact with any of the realm of the living items so like you, you can't can still pick, see them around you can still see them but like you can't uh pick up gold you can't kill light monsters they right. can't hurt you uh etc cetera, etc cetera. but there's a whole different batch of bad guys that are undead plane only and uh and they can interact with you when you're dead and right. they can't when you're alive and so um it's pretty interesting because uh we're treating that as kind of like the hard mode for the game right so where this came from is back when we were working on uh, we call it Project Warhead. It was that three-month multiplayer game we mentioned earlier in this podcast. Um, so when you die in a real-time multiplayer game, uh, for example, the one I play most often is Left 4 Dead. Um, if you die and you're in, like you're a survivor, a human... There's like observer mode. Yeah, you're basically observing, but you don't get to play anymore, and that sucks. And then if you die and you're one of the infected, like you get to play as a zombie, you come back in like 15 seconds or something. Um, <clears throat> but in our game, it was like... We didn't really have, like, the, the lobbying system was very, uh, 
basic. Like, yeah, very basic. It didn't have a lot of options or anything. So what we decided to do was like when you die, you're uh, you're a ghost, and you can still kind of float around, and you can like basically what we did. The first uh, implementation we did was while you collide with other players, you kind of slow them down. Right. And we we're thinking of doing stuff like maybe you can set off traps, maybe you can like you can you know, aggravate monsters that will then attack the other players and stuff like that. And so it was really like kind of keeping players in the game. Like I think Bomberman is probably a game where um, a lot of players have an experience with that. Where like if you die in Bomberman, it's pretty off. I think there's modes actually, but it's pretty common where like now you're um, now you're on the edge of the sidelines, like you're out of the game, but you can still throw bombs inside. Mm, yeah, yeah. So you get to interact in some way, and that's where this like the core of this idea came from. And then when it came to applying it to our new single player experience in Crypt Run, uh, we kind of wanted it to be our special sauce you know because we want there to be something different about the game where like when people ask about it we're not just like oh yeah you know it, it's kind of like gauntlet it's you've, like a dungeon crawler yeah you've played it a million times before like i don't know i mean it's new you haven't played this it's a little different but right. it'd be very familiar to you uh i mean it will have a lot of that obviously because we um we're very influenced by a lot of the classics like gauntlet and zelda and all that but with this new unique death mechanic we're hoping to create some experiences that players haven't had before I think one of the really interesting things we want to do is have kind of these multi-part quest chains, yes. so to speak, where you have to go back and forth between the realm of the living and realm of the dead in order yeah. to complete it. So, for example, you might have to get to a certain point in the dungeon, kill yourself, uh, and at that point you're in the realm of the dead, right. and then you go do something else in the realm of the dead, which then allows you to go someplace else when you can, where you can resurrect and back right. into the realm of the living. Yes. So on and so forth. Yeah, I can't wait to do like, yeah. like this, this intricate path of like, you know, you need to make sure that you do the right things in the right order and like uh, something else we're doing with the, with the realm of the dead is it's um, going to be very hard. Yeah, that's kind of it's our playground for making the game really difficult because uh, onslaught arena we didn't really like the difficulty ramp as we mentioned before was really bad. Really bad. Um, but we really like having those really tough challenges for players that really want to like spend the time they're so fun they feel so good to to accomplish like to oh yeah you get that goal you're just like oh i am the best so i think we're gonna keep the light world uh or the realm of the living rather a very very playable i mean it's going to be hazardous and fun and challenging and all that but i think we're going to save the real uh punches for the dark world we're going to be uh reserved when it comes to like making bosses and stuff in the realm of the living it's going to be more like yeah it's tough and you certainly can't get through it in your first playthrough but like even a kind of inexperienced player who doesn't have you know decades of experience and skill playing these types of games could you know reasonably get through the game after some practice right but the realm of the dead is going to have more challenges that are just like really intense like you better be really skilled right to (laughs) basically you won't ever stop moving you're gonna be dodging and shooting and it'll be pretty bullet helly probably you stop and you're dead yeah kind of game and it'll look very different too i don't know if you know if we mentioned that but like yeah it's got a great visual aesthetic so so the realm of the dead um now the realm of the living is like it has the this darkness effect that we call it like treasure goblin has the same darkness effect and it's like your light uh kind of you know shows you what's nearby yeah and then like various other things in the game also have light um and then everything is, is supposed to look very like organic and alive and then uh, in the realm of the dead um we're, we're going to try this aesthetic where everything's kind of uh brighter and simpler so like rather instead of there being like a lot, ton of detail and lots of different color it'll be uh simpler where it's like everything kind of starts white and then certain things will be like you know red for danger and you know or maybe green dignified or uh eight, green signifies like a particular type of behavior in a monster or something i think the underlying theme though is that 
the background is going to be understated and the enemies and their projectiles are going to be very obvious. Yes, super and clear. And you and your projectiles are going to be very obvious. So really, in the quote-unquote hard mode, which is the realm of the dead, um, you'll, you won't have very many visual distractions. It'll be all exactly. about execution. So like the realm of the living is going to have more stuff that maybe you can kind of interact with or like monsters. If, if you don't want to tangle with them, you can just avoid them. And There's like barrels you can blow up and like yeah. a lot more kind of just visual fluff. Just stuff in the environment. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's not all about combat, but that's really what the realm of the dead is going to be all about. It's like it's really just difficult battles. Right. <laughs> and that get, like because there's these optional paths uh, that gives us the ability to make it extremely difficult and hopefully we won't like upset anybody like your game is just too hard to hate you right you know it's like oh no no like the realm of the dead stuff is optional I mean like when you go through on your average playthrough you're probably gonna die and get sent to the realm of the dead where you'll die again where you'll die again <laughs> but but the the point is that like you can accomplish the realm of the living goals and that's where like you get to see the credits you get to see this like ending scenario right. and like you get to you get the achievement and you feel the sense of accomplishment and then like I, I don't know about you but i'll go through and i'll play like you know call of duty or something and i totally beat it on normal yeah and yeah. i'm okay with yeah, that and my okay. friends are talking about the veteran achievements and i'm like i don't care <laughs> like i tried those and they're ridiculous it, to me it just feels like trial and error over and over but and you over. don't feel like you wasted your time on the game no no not at all not i at think all. a lot of it comes out of um at least my experience with world of warcraft where as the game progressed, they introduced these, you know, the normal dungeons were like, you can probably do it with like a random 10 people with some practice, you know? Mm -hmm. But then if you do something special, you'll trigger the hard mode. Right. Um, and then it's much more difficult and you're really only going to beat that if you have like a very coordinated, very experienced group of players. Exactly. And so that's kind of how we want to approach the design of Krypton is that the realm of the living is accessible and you can feel like you've completed the game and you've gotten the achievements and... You know, there's some ending satisfaction for completing the realm of the living. Right. But if you still want more and you really want to be punished, we have this realm <laughs> of the dead <laughs> that will just, you know, test you in all kinds of ways and yeah. make you hate us and want to throw your controller at the screen. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of those, um, a lot of those experiences are probably um, influenced by Spelunky. That's true. Yeah. That's the like we both really like that game. Uh, your girlfriend actually plays it a lot too. She got to the City of Gold recently. My girlfriend's better at that game than I am. She is. Yes. Like a lot better. Like at, at first she was like, you know, she did a she did one thing you hadn't done. But at this point, she's done a lot of things you hadn't done. Uh, she got to the City of Gold. She killed Anubis too. Nice. That's that's she really far along. Through the City of Gold, back to Olmec. Wow. So. And then you died on Olmec. Well, that's the thing is, I'm. She makes you play. She makes me play because I'm <laughs> I'm still better than she is, like, skill wise, like. If you're talking about just jumping around, shooting... But she plays a lot more than you do these days. She plays a lot more than I do, and she's very methodical. Yeah. So what the, what she does... I don't know if... I, for people that have played Spelunky, um, she collects as much gold as possible. Like, she gets every single piece of gold in the level, and every single level. Yeah. Never upsets the shopkeepers. Well, that's not at all how I play. No. It's I like go straight opposite. for the shopkeeper's jugular. <laughs> but, like, she she would get killed by the shopkeepers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. She, she plays it safe. She plays it very safe. Yeah. But uh, um, I have calculated risks when I play. But yeah, like uh, Spelunky's had a big influence on us uh, just as designers. Like we're certainly not trying to um, copy any specific things. And that's that's another thing that we think that the unique death mechanic will, will buy us is like, you know, we're not going to have the same experiences from other games. Right. Like, yeah, we'll have some influence, but hopefully it'll be minimalist and just like... All games have some kind of an influence, you know? Absolutely. Everything's a Mario or Tetris clone. Even that, I mean, if you look at or Spelunky... Pong. It's very close to this game, Spelunker. Oh yeah, like I think that I, I don't. I would love to talk to Derek Hume about this, but I, I think that's where the whole thing came from. Like, yeah. 
and like my friends and i have uh i mean like my old friends from um like you know grade school and stuff the ones i still talk to like we have this ongoing joke like decades long joke about spelunker because it was like just this piece of crap for nintendo and it was like it looks a lot like spelunky um the the pc or the the old pc version that was done all pixel art mm-hmm. not the new xbla one and yeah, yeah. um but anyway there's a ghost that chases you if you take too long just like in spelunky there's like all like spiders and a lot of the same like traps and stuff um the reason that Spelunker on Nintendo was so funny and easy to make fun of, though, is because if you <laughs> if you fall in the game, it's a side-scrolling platformer. If you fall more than like like half the height of your character's pixels, yeah. you die instantly. Wow! It doesn't even complete the fall and like you hit the ground, and so it creates these hilarious things where you're like, okay, I'm just going to, and you're dead. <laughs> you're like, what the? like I didn't even touch the ground. I don't know. It's really funny. It's it's an infuriating game. Wow. Uh, yeah, actually, when my friends came and played last time, like we don't live in, uh, each other near each other anymore. Um, a lot of them back in Illinois, and uh, a couple months ago they came out and visited for a week, and we just played Nintendo games. We beat like thirty games in, in a week, and that was one of them. We nice. could only do it with save states. It was really fun because like one person would volunteer to be like the <laughs> the guinea pig, and you'd sit there and you'd play, and someone else would man the keyboard and like load, save. load state, load state, oh, load nice. state, save state, load <laughs> state, load. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. it's the only way we can do it. Otherwise, we'd be there all week just just beating Spelunker, <laughs> which would be very sad. Yes, very very sad. So yeah, we're excited about um, the Crypt Run Death mechanic. Yes. Um, we kind of have this theme: death is just the beginning, right? Um, which to us kind of means that. Uh, the game has so much more to offer once you die. Yeah. Like dying is just, you know, the beginning of the game. So so that came from, um, I've been reading uh, Jesse Schell's uh, The Art of Game Design, A Book of Lenses, I think is it's called. I'll put a link in the show notes. I've probably linked to this before. Jesse Schell's book. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. I've read a couple of other ga- uh, books on game design, mostly because like <laughs> about three years ago, I started designing games for my job and I was like, Wow, I I just feel almost irresponsible because I'm like I have no education on this. It, it feels like something you you can just do. You're like, dude, I know how to play games. Like I've played no. games my whole life. No, man. I, when people when people say that now, I'm like, I, I can't scoff hard enough. Like, yeah. poof, poof, please. <laughs> just because I've been beaten so badly over the last several years, like yeah. having that mindset and like, no, it's not true. You <laughs> you're making bad game design decisions. And I think more importantly than reading books although reading books is definitely helpful like do the it. most helpful thing yeah make just games. doing it make make lots of games make, make lots of crappy games make so many games we've made more games than we're even legally allowed to talk about that's true like that's even so even true. the ones that you've seen and the ones that we don't talk about like i don't know if we've talked about i hate talking about lava sword i don't know if we've talked about turkey hunt lava sword's probably the worst game that's ever been made it's definitely the worst <laughs> game man you're son of a, i hate you <laughs> <laughs> i kid it's not that bad turkey hunt's pretty bad Lava Sword is easy, uh, or is, is a is a good target for you to pick on because I don't think you had anything to do with that. No, I mean obviously you did the engine work and stuff. But sure, sure. Like I, just, I don't know. I just started. I had this crate. I don't want to talk about Lava Sword. I hate Lava Sword. <laughs> We're moving on. <laughs> the point is, we have a bunch of games we haven't talked about, and that's what you should be doing: making a bunch of games. Um, right. Anyway, so Jesse Shell's book is awesome because it starts. It, it's huge. First of all, it's it's like that's really long, and. Um, he covers like all the stuff from like developing prototypes and risk analysis to coming up with your ideas and how to work with your subconscious and one of like he starts with the basics you know but he has these advanced stuff that I hadn't certainly hadn't applied to my game designs before and one of those was uh, having a concise theme you know and like the best games you know stuff like Portal 
you know, like the classic games. They they have themes. It's just that players don't know or care, you know. But the designers care. The designers know, right. and they applied the theme, and that's why the game feels so like you know those games when you play it and you're like, I don't know why, I just love it. it it's it's it feels so perfectly set up. It feels like it reads my mind. Like I, the controls are so tight. Like everything just feels um, natural. Yeah, that's the that's the kind of next step that you need to make your whole game like come together, you know. And mm-hmm. so we knew we had this game where we like it was medieval fantasy. We wanted it to like we have this kind of cartoony aesthetic just because it's like an easy thing for us to do. We don't necessarily want to turn anybody off. And like I think that also kind of buys us room to be kind of bloody and nasty because it's like it's easier to take that if it's it's not so gory though. I mean, there's a little bit of like blood splattering, but a little bit, yeah. Like we're yeah. There's blood splatter, and we're probably going to have stuff like, you know, um, sacrifices and, you right. know, some nasty-looking monsters and stuff, but... I mean, like, we're talking about you go from being living to undead and, like... Yeah, there's, like, nasty, like, underlining themes, right? Right. Um, and then, so we had this uh, this death mechanic that came from this real-time multiplayer game, and we are like, so how can... Like, like what would be a way to kind of work that into a theme, you know? And death is just the beginning is, is one of those expressions I've heard many times before. You know, I mean, it's applied to other places like, you know, uh, life begins at 40, the same type of I th- type of thinking, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we like we didn't just try to uh, like make that a, a subtitle we put on the game or or like, uh, yeah, I don't know, just a promotional thing. Like, hopefully it'll get someone's attention. We also tried to apply it everywhere we can in the game. Right. Uh, another way is um, so like we haven't nailed down the plot yet. So don't uh, this is written in stone, but this is the idea we're playing with is. Death is just the beginning. How, how can you apply that to the game's story as well, right? So if the game starts off with maybe the Grim Reaper, who's another name for him is Death, the Grim Reaper does some event that starts the story. Death is just the beginning, you right. know? Um, and then, like, let's say Grim Reaper is the last guy, right? And you kill the last guy, ask Death, and you kill Death, and then how do we make that just the beginning, right? And it's like, okay, well, we have, when you beat the game, we have this other mode, and there's like a whole another thing like that's only the beginning you know so like we try to take death is just the beginning and apply it to the core game mechanic the special sauce the story the beginning the ending like everywhere we can put that that we can that will just improve the game feeling you know cohesive and natural and just well thought out hopefully. yeah it just improves the design that's the hope anyway but right <laughs> <laughs> it's my yeah. long-winded explanation of the theme well it's something that i think is really important because it's easy just to kind of say like, oh, we'll make a game that's like medieval fantasy and swords and stuff. But then it's like, what happens when you try to sell it to people? You know, you're like, yeah. what makes your game special and different? Like, why should I play this versus the other 10 million games out there? So what it does too is it helps you make decisions because one of the hardest things about making games is making decisions because you could make any decision in the world. Like, okay, start with your game idea. It's overwhelming. It, that's the problem. There's just right. way too many decisions you can make. And then once you've committed to your game idea and your game mechanics and your concept and everything, you still have a billion decisions to make. I think it's a little bit like an artist, you know? Like, when you're looking at a blank canvas and you're like, what am I going to draw? Yeah. Like, one thing you could do is you could just draw a bunch of random shapes yeah. and things that don't exist in the world together, right? And right. then that's not a very compelling painting. Exactly. But if you're like, I want to draw, uh, you know, a bridge over the water at twilight... Right. That kind of gives you a lot of focus in what you're going to be creating. Yeah, it, it's kind of like um, having a theme as a painter. I guess a, maybe a good metaphor would be like you have a palette. Right. You know, you don't have a million like si- you don't have 16 million decisions in front of you with regards to what colors to use. You have your palette. You have like okay, this is going to be a six color painting or six color work. You know, like 
the example that Jesse used in his book that was awesome was um, he was working on some like Disney ride, I think, as Pirates of the Caribbean. Hmm. And they were like, okay, so it's pirates, like, so a pirate game. And, you know, okay, they're putting pirate stuff in the game. But they didn't really have a lot of direction with regards to, like, well, what should we add? What should we do next? And they needed a theme. And then when they finally, when they finally thought of it, it seemed very obvious. It was like, the theme is you are a pirate. And that doesn't, when you hear that and, and you don't know a lot about game design, you're like, okay, so you're a pirate. Great. It's a game about being a pirate. Who cares? And you move on and, and you don't think about it. But what that does is like he explains how that helped enable all these decisions. Any decision that came up, they can go back to the theme. Anything. It would be like, um, should we do X or Y? Yeah. Like, does it fit with you being a pirate? Yeah. Like, hey, someone had this cool idea for, for this or whatever. And it's like, well, that doesn't really have much to do with a pirate. Like, when I think of a pirate, I don't think of, you know, uh, jumping into the ocean and swimming around like that's something we can probably just cut i want to see like swashbuckling i want to see cannons i want to see treasure and booty right. i want to see skeletons i want to see an albatross you know like the things you'd expect when you want to be a pirate what well, also kind of informs the gameplay not just kind of the setting and uh but yeah. you know it also drives like the mechanics like what would right. a pirate do like what are the fun things exactly that you would want to picture yourself doing as a pirate. And so in that game, the goals are like you collect you collect treasure, you fire the cannons, someone's in the back of the ship steering. Um, yeah, and like it, I don't know, it's just it's just a really helpful tool when you're in the realm of game design where the sky is the limit, and you're probably going to be overwhelmed with decisions, and you're going to be making bad decisions. Like it, it helps you make decisions. It's, it's way really valuable. Way too easy as we've seen just to add a million things with little or no justification. Yeah. It's like, let's add this feature to the game. It only took two seconds, and why not? We're basically terrified of those things. Anything that we add to the game, just, you know, willy-nilly, we're like, yeah, just throw it in, like, whatever. Like, both, like, because one of us will do it, because we just, it's hard to resist sometimes, is I'm like, oh, oh, I just make this small tweak, and I could add, like, a like a werewolf or whatever. <laughs> then the other person will be like, oh, have you thought this through? <laughs> do you have any idea of the <laughs> design implications? Yes. <laughs> uh, it's tough. Yes. Well, that's what we're here for, is uh, making each other accountable for design decisions checks and balances yes or one check and one balance because there's only two of us right but <laughs> still <laughs> uh but yeah so we're we're trying really hard on crypt run uh, we're finally starting to like be able to justify the decisions that we're making and like because right. any other game that we've made we're like um i don't know like i thought it would be fun right yeah. I, thought it, I thought it would look neat <laughs> Uh, what does this add to the game um yeah. yeah we're starting to the point where we're making decisions that like I know why I made that decision, and I know what that decision will do, and I know what effect it will have, and... We think it's fun, and it's a net gain for the game, or whatever else. Right, yeah. Yeah. So we're giving Crypt Run uh, every chance to succeed that we can, but, you know, in all odds, it probably won't do terribly well, but we'll be able to use the, the learnings right. in part of the next game. But anyway, uh, yeah, Crypt Run, we're super excited. Uh, the Crypt, the... <laughs> we, I, I did it again. The Crypt Starter. The Crypt Starter. I think, I think we have to call it the Crypt Starter. I think we do. Um, so the... <laughs> the Crypt Run Kickstarter has been long in the making, and part of the reason is because um, we've talked before. Like, if you're just listening to this podcast for the first time, you might not know this stuff. But if you've listened to all of them, you've heard us talk before about like these contracts and the way that other companies can affect your independent company. And like, we've we've been we've been existed for about three years now, and we've been independent for about a year and a half. And it is shocking how much impact an external company can have on like just like our direction and stuff you know so like the most recent one was we heard from a partner who that was a pretty interesting contract it was like a company you've heard of and like working games you've heard of games you've heard of and right. like working on ip it was i mean it was just converting them from ios to html5 but it was like 
uh, games I've played and games I like, and that's games cool. To everyone me. has played. Every yeah, everyone <laughs> has heard of. We won't say it because we were not allowed to. We're not allowed to. But we're on NDA. But it's it was really cool. It was like, I okay. Anyway, uh, we were on the hook for a couple of weeks, and we were really interested and we were excited. And the way I think is like. I try to think down the road and I try to like, I plan for what the next couple of weeks or months will be like. And so my thoughts for like two solid weeks were just about like working on these games and like how to best do it and like um, how to keep Krypton on the mind, but not let it take up more than like a part-time kind of thing. And like, we're going to have all this extra cash coming in, which like we do not have right now. Like that would have been, because basically we, we would have just been like paid normal salaries for a couple of months so that would have been really nice because then oh, we yeah. have like a little bit of wiggle room in our budgets you know i was getting close to like being like a good half year's salary for two months of work yeah so we were pretty excited about it and then uh just you know yeah, fell through as poof, things gone yeah just yeah. totally gone and then it's certainly not the not the first time that's happened it's it's one of the more like affecting ones where it like it just kind of disturbed us and stuff, but a little bit. But we had planned on doing the Krypton Kickstarter anyway. It was our fallback plan, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, we're running out of money and we're going to Kickstarter now. So hopefully that'll work out. Yeah, because we'd love to keep working on um, Krypton. Uh, or just you know any games, <laughs> <laughs> more games. Yeah, we'd love to keep uh, keep making games. Um, so let's talk about the Kickstarter. <laughs> the Kickstarter. <laughs> it's hard not to say that. Say seriously. Try it right now. Crypt run Kickstarter. No, I'm not talking to you. Oh. You can shut up. All right. I'm talking to the listeners. <laughs> Crypt run Kickstarter. Crypt run Kickstarter. Say it three times fast. Oh, man. <laughs> Crypt starter is so much easier, isn't it? It is. Crypt I think that's what we should call it. It's our Crypt starter. That's so like, what's that word you use? Uh, esoteric. Yeah. but People will see it and be like, I don't know what that is. I don't care. And I, now I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we will. But um, we are... Yeah, we're going full steam on it uh, today. Actually, actually, here in about ten minutes, when we stop this podcast, we're gonna we're going right to filming. Actually, we're gonna eat first, but yeah, this day is all about um, podcasting and recording and video taping and promotion. Promotion. This yeah. week, pretty much, is all about not not we're, development. It's all we're about, not writing a single line of code today. Oh, I've already broken that. Oh, oh, today. No, I don't think I did today. Actually, I just, I, I, I did some work on Lunchbug this morning. Can I whip you? Do I have a whip? <laughs> no, I get to beat you with something. How about use your broadsword that's in the corner there? You know, I was thinking about bringing that to California Extreme. I don't know if you should that do that. I mean, it's plastic. It's dull. It, there's no sharp edge, but eh. I would look cool, right? <laughs> That's one more thing to keep track of, though. <laughs> when you have a sword, you either look really cool or really dumb. Yeah. I think you have to have armor on to look cool with a sword. Probably. Anyway, or you know, not be in the middle of an arcade. But, I mean, it's a convention. There might be, like, cosplayers. I didn't see many last year. No, it's not that kind of convention. No, it's, it's not, not like Comic Con where like everyone and their mom is dressed up with like fur and right. anime characters and video game um, Kickstarter Kickstarter <laughs> people. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So I've already done a bunch of the the images, and I'm really excited about them. Yeah. Um, we have stretch goals in mind. We have a bunch um, of reward tiers. We have reward tiers, which we've spent a lot of time kind of trimming down and, and managing. We actually have one um, reward tier where uh, we'll have you, me, no, not you, the you listener. the listener, on the show mm-hmm. um, for your own interview. You can talk about whatever you want. Yeah, you can pimp whatever you want. Um, you could just you could turn our show into whatever you want. You could be like, it's the it's the hee-haw game dev talk show now <laughs> and we're just like uh that's fine <laughs> man my accent really came out in that one didn't it your illinois accent yes yep um so that's cool uh, so there's actually some other cool ones too uh you can design in-game items you can have your portrait in the in-game uh, museum 
Um, what else? We should really make that in game museum. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days I guess it exists it does exist we just need to make the paintings and stuff listen Matt I'm listening stop derailing my reward talk I apologize alright uh, I'm gonna pull up the image actually I'm so excited badges uh, project image no, where's the one with the um, the ones that people care to listen <laughs> the, the rewards I guess it's the rewards that I need to pull up isn't it yeah uh, most of them is you, you just get the game um, get the game the soundtrack uh, early alpha access yeah. uh, you get your name in the credits uh, uh, under various titles depending on your level of contribution bronze sponsor silver sponsor gold sponsor uh, associate producer and executive producer right ooh and those are limited they are limited yes. so there's not going to be you won't see like a page of like here's 50,000 associate producers whatever no no it's like there's only going to be um, there'll probably be hopefully there'll be hundreds of bronze sponsors Hundreds to thousands. <laughs> I hope so, man. But like, I really don't like <sighs> Kickstarter to me feels like one of these things where like, it feels like if you make it, they will come, Yeah, you know? know, but like what I've read is that it really just comes from your network. Our network is not that strong. No. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a part of our network and hopefully you'll, <laughs> hopefully you'll help us out with the Kickstarter, but I don't know <laughs> if we're going to get thousands of anything. Maybe not. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, nine rewards, and they range in price from nine bucks, and that's just you get the game, and there's only going to be a limited number of those, so if you're on a budget, uh, please hurry and tell your friends and get that one. And then well, the, not yet, because it's not launched, <laughs> but soon, right? No, not yet. Yeah, yeah, but soon. Um, and then the top tier is a thousand bucks, Yep. Uh, which is like 20% of our entire budget, <laughs> so that'd be really helpful. Um, well, it's 20% of our asking, asking our goal, asking, yeah. our funding goal. Yeah, our funding goal. We're already, uh, let's see, if we've worked on this, we did the math recently, and if we've worked on this for two months, we're already in the can, or in the can, oh, I always messed that up. We're in the... In the hole. In the hole, in the hole for about 16K. Sure. Whew! <laughs> That's a lot of money! <laughs> <coughs> but it's fun. Yeah, it's really fun. And we've been wanting to try Kickstarter for a while as just, you know, an alternative funding. We have, yeah. We're going to be really noisy after we launch, and during the launch and for the next 30 days and uh absent from the we're gonna launch it on the california extreme if we can yeah hopefully. The, the only bottleneck there will be if something happens with kickstarter and or soon after if there's something that as goes soon wrong. as possible yeah we've we've got all our ducks in a row even we've lined like we have an amazon payments account like it's ready to submit for approval but we don't know like hopefully it won't be like apple where they're like yeah we'll get to it punk when i feel like it two months yeah exactly yeah. Well, really, the big hurdle for us right now is the video, and so we're tackling that today, and we are. We'll see what happens. Speaking of which, I'm starving. Yeah, that's great. Uh, 50 minutes is pretty good. It's been a while. Um, so I wanted to give a shout out to the people who uh, help us keep Lost Cast going. Pretty much the way it works is like it all. It all kind of comes down to um, it all put. It's all on my shoulders basically because I have to edit it, and like I'm the internal advocate because like <laughs> Jeff enjoys doing it when we do it, but it's like. On a, on a balance, you'll probably be less likely to want to because you're like, dude, we have we have so much work. <laughs> you know true. what I mean? And like, uh, out of the two of us, you you're the more you think about business more, right? And I think about promotion more. I mean, we both have them yeah, yeah. on our minds, but when we're that's a good balance, though. It's a great balance, yeah. And um, I'll tell you, readers and listeners, uh, I guess listeners, <laughs> but um, those <laughs> you're emails. Reading this podcast. Yes. Hey, that'd be cool if we had um, transcripts. That would be cool. You read the podcast. But anyway, um, the emails that you send and like the Facebook messages we got, like we got one from Ken, who uh, is always commenting on Facebook and stuff. He's like one of our biggest fans right now. So shout out to him. Thank you for the encouragement. And uh, also James sent us an email the other day. Yeah, very uh, Very, very like a 
you know just trying to convince us that it's worthwhile and um asking for more shows and uh that's a great way just to motivate us both where it's like that way it's less of a sell and it's like oh come on we need to podcast today it's more like dude let's do it yeah we got yeah. people who who actually care so uh so it's let's hard because it. sometimes it's not that easy to know how many people actually listen to the podcast we have you know? no idea yeah. like itunes offers no tracking yeah. and uh feed burner's dead or no it's not dead but yeah we feel like it could be dead at any second because google killed google reader as of like yesterday wasn't it yeah i think so um by the way, if you were a Google Reader user, I guess, well, anyway, I, I switched to Feedly and I love it. I was just going to mention that. <laughs> but well, you should link the RSS in the show notes. Oh, yeah. We have an just RSS. in case no one. We have an RSS feed. Uh, but yeah, thank you for the encouragement. It really does help. Um, and it keeps the show going. I think what we might do is I might try to convince Jeff. What? Monthly. Sure. Remember back when I was like, we're going to do every week <laughs> at 8 p.m. BST exactly. And I was like, that's back when I was editing it even. And, I, right. and it was like, and then you spent six hours basically work. every Sunday, four hours or six hours of, of your Saturday or I, Sunday. I just, I just spend time on the wrong things. Yeah. I would love to make a more polished show, but we just we just literally can't afford it. I think we'd have to, at this point, in order to afford having a more polished, like edited experience, we'd have to get an intern or be able to afford to pay someone, and we're nowhere near that. Or if we were just rolling in dough, and we could, you know. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. We could, you know, hire an audio guy. That's we could pay Joshua Morse, maybe, and he he knows how to edit audio. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, one day. Oh, uh, another shout out, uh, Joshua Morris. Man, that guy is a monster. He just he makes so much music. Yeah, he does. He's he's like the Krypton soundtrack's not done because the game's not done, but he's done all the music that needs to be done. Yeah, like five complete songs, and they're really good. Um, and then just launched this week, uh, indie B sides. He did a uh, rearrangement album with remixes from games like Fez. Oh, cool. And uh, on a side note, I did the album artwork, so. Check that out and <laughs> feast your eyes. It's pixel art, uh, so you might like it. That's cool. What is it? Uh, it is a... Um, actually, I think I'm going to post a article on our blog pretty soon about the making of the Indie B-Sides album art. I've got some sketches and stuff. I don't know if it'd be interesting, but whatever. Sure. Um, but it's a cube from Fez mm. uh, with a starburst behind it, and it's um, it's it's supposed to look like it's printed on the cover of a... Uh, like, like, like a cardboard... Um, like a record. Like uh, like a record for a, like a yeah, cover yeah. for a vinyl record, right? Right. And then there's a ha- like a half of a vinyl record sticking out, and on the label you can see it says Volume One. Uh, anyway, it's, I uh, I couldn't tell what that cube was. I guess because I haven't played Fez. It's the Fez cube, yeah. Got it. It's just a cube, really. It's <laughs> nothing special about well, it. I figure it's a reference to something. I just I didn't yeah. know what it was. Fez is the uh, one game out of those that I've played. Actually, I'm kind of embarrassed. I should go play some of those indie games. Which ones? Uh, all the ones on Joshua Morse's album. I think there's eight tracks on there. Huh eight different games and i've only played one i'm a terrible indie you are me for shame matt um and then also final fantasy 6 which is obviously one of my favorite games because i've got ultros the octopus tattooed right here on my arm Um, who came from that game originally um that's my favorite part of your tattoo by the way oh thank you uh ultros looks so good we'll see how simon turns out actually i had a tattoo appointment today that got canceled Mm. that's why we were filming today (laughs) (laughs) but anyway uh final fantasy 6 arrangement album from overclocked remix it's five CDs five so, five oh jeez almost close this everyone should thank your tattoo artist for getting a, a lost cast today oh uh, yeah <laughs> thank Matt Hamlet for <laughs> for the lost cast today anyway yeah check out those things they're all in the show notes uh, thank you for listening please do comment on our blog please go write a lost cast review like uh, since we're not sponsored or anything anymore those those are the things that that motivate us yeah. emails tweets Facebook posts. <laughs> iTunes reviews, like those are the things that 
that motivate us to make the show. So um, anyway, thank you. And um, we we run on goodwill. Yeah, Lost Cast runs on <laughs> goodwill. <laughs>